When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Stephen Fry's Seven Deadly Sins. Episode One, An Introduction. Hello, my dears. I don't know how much you listen to podcasts. Maybe this is your first ever, but I listen a lot. I try to go for a longish walk every day, you know, swinging those creaking hips and pointing those sagging but ever hopeful nipples into the wind in my restless quest for peace, ease, fitness and balm for the soul. In the countryside, birdsong and Dame Nature in her ever-changing collection of seasonal frocks are usually enough, but in the noxious burp and bump of the big city, I find audiobooks and podcasts are the happiest way to eat up the miles and earn the weirdly addictive health app rewards, badges and medals that are on offer these days. And generally, you know, keep myself motivated to stride on without getting bored and mentally restless. Perhaps you're the same, although you almost certainly have perkier nipples. It's dispiriting, to me at least, to note how many of the most popular podcasts these days, especially the American ones, it must be observed, Keep picking at the scabs of what are called the culture wars, you know, and feasting on all the blood and pus that oozes from that terrible wound. By the wound of the culture wars, I mean, of course, the Grand Canyon, that great fissure that has opened up in public discourse, in the politics and all other aspects of life, in the West especially. A seismic crack that grows wider every day, and as it widens, the armies on each side shriek more and more incontinently at their perceived enemies on the other side, across the divide, their gestures and insults growing ever huger, cruder and louder. Of course, as the chasm widens and the distance between the two sides increases, and the chance of either group hearing or interpreting the other, even if they wanted to, which they don't, decreases daily. The hatred, the contempt, distrust, fear and abhorrence each feels for the other is absolute, immovable, implacable, visceral, frightening. I, and millions like me, do not have a place on either side. You can find us cowering down in the ravine below while the armies clash, clatter and screech above. And what are these, these two mighty, clashing forces? On the one side, arrange the newly energised battalions of the populist right, or alt-right, or nativist right, 
for whom what they call political correctness, globalism, internationalism, and the ideals of social justice are dragons to be slain by their fearless, taboo-busting white knights of the cross. They claim to stand for ordinary people, tired of the failures, the moral relativism, and all the virtue-signaling pieties of progressive politics, and to champion values that often magically combine Christianity or even Buddhism with anti-state libertarianism. Against them, across this ever-widening fissio, are massed the armies of a new ideological left, a generation of illiberal liberals intolerantly fixated on identity politics, semi-schooled in impenetrable academic jargon and prone to gabbling about things like cultural appropriation and the heteronormative patriarchy in comically sanctimonious and barely literate babble. Champions and orators on both sides take far more time and derive far more pleasure in riding out to mock the opposition's mouthpieces and spear their sacred cows than they do in making any real effort to explain a credible alternative agenda or present anything like a thought-through manifesto, credo, or, or philosophy. It's not about what anyone stands for so much as what they stand against, not what enlivens them so much as what enrages them, not what inspires their loyalty and trust, but what inflames their hatred and enmity. We're all like that. Aside from anything else, it's so sod-motheringly, arse-paralyzingly easy. Which of us can't savage the dumbest loon from the other side, nail their fallacies, and expose their hypocrisies? It's the contemporary version of the Circus Maximus. You know, inst instead of gladiatorial combat, we have shaming and railing, denouncing and disgracing, and the mob screaming for Caesar's imperial thumbs down, which today means Emperor Zuckerberg cutting off their Facebook page, or Pontifex Dorsey deleting their Twitter ID, and similar contemporary modes of public execution and banishment. Give us enemies, give us hate weeks, put names to our pain. The liberal elite, it's, it's their fault. White privilege, it's their fault. We don't need to engage with the coherent, decent people across the divide, for the modern world throws up easier targets. We look with gloating relish to the wilder shores of anti-vaxxers, flat-earthers, white supremacists, denialists, fundamentalists, history rewriters, deplatformers, deranged gender and race identitarians, and statue-smashers obsessed by cultural appropriation and misplaced cisgender pronouning. We look to such outlying fanatics to justify our contempt for the entirety of the foe. How much easier to do that than look at and listen to the more reasonable, sane and cogent viewpoints. Nuance and complexity are so bloody hard and worse than hard, time-consuming and boring. We have machines and devices to, to wash our clothes and dirty dishes, to calculate and convert measurements, to print and transmit our words. The modern world also gives us automated ways of coming to conclusions without the bother and toil of thinking, reading, researching, reflecting, scrutinizing, and, and wondering for ourselves. Heaven knows I'm guilty too. Shortcuts and simplifications are as appealing to me as they are to anyone. So you know what? Fuck all this posturing and snarling 
Fuck all this fake outrage and real outrage. Fuck all this redacting people from history. Fuck all this year zero zealotry. Fuck the boorish pelting of balls of shit at those in the pillory. Fuck all this second-guessing of other people's motives. Fuck all this meanness, malice and mendacity. It's time we understood whose fault it really is. And I am in a happy position to be able to let you know. Absolutely. I have looked at this problem long and hard from every angle. I can now state with confident certainty that the fault lies entirely with me. It is my fault. Entirely my fault. I am the reason the world is going to hell. The madness and tumult can be laid at my door. I'm not the first to have noticed this. Maybe you've seen a copy somewhere of that poster they used to put up in London tube stations during the Second World War. It's not you that's letting the country down. It's the person standing next to you. They were right, of course. G.K. Chesterton once wrote a letter to the Times newspaper along the same lines. Sir, I can finally put your readers' minds to rest. There seems to be a general clamour to know why the country has gone to rack and ruin. I can happily reveal the answer. It is entirely due to me. I am surprised all your readers have not written in with letters of a similar nature. Mahatma Gandhi said, Be the change that you wish to see in the world. If it is all my fault, I'd better explain why. The purpose of these podcasts is not to look outwards and expose all the malefactors and monstrous ogres stalking our world. It's to look confessionally inwards to the dark, turbulent waters of the human soul. Stephen, seriously, have you any idea of how much of a dick you sound when you talk like that? Yes, 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 I know, I know. Yet, you see, while almost everyone is keen on being right and exposing what is wrong with others, almost no one out there suggests that there can be anything wrong with themselves. Jesus and I don't agree on all matters. I can't, for instance, go along with Mr. Christ's idea that to think a crime is as bad as to commit it. But when he talked about first taking the great plank of wood out of our own eyes before presuming to criticise the tiny speck in other people's, he had a point. So perhaps it might be illuminating, instructive, or, or at the very least entertaining to look at something very inward and personal that almost no one ever looks at these days. Usually when we look inwards, we're encouraged to congratulate ourselves on our beautiful, underappreciated and cruelly misunderstood personalities. But I want to kick away the jewel-encrusted stone of our shining selves and reveal the nasty, squirming, slimy creatures that crawl beneath our sins. Sins? Stephen? Sins? Have you run mad, madder, or maddest? This is 2019, not 1219. We, we have crime, we have error, we have evil intent and evil actions, we have disorders and bad decisions. But you, of all people, godless heathen atheist scum that you are, should know better than to use words like sin. Yes, 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 you're probably right again, but, but let's just remind ourselves how the world is going. Right now, there's an emergency in our political, cultural and social lives and no measures to put it right are working. 
So isn't it reasonable to look for answers in places that might have been overlooked? And I think we can agree that there is an emergency. I mean, look at the world. The withdrawal into nationalism and trade wars, the complete loss of faith in national and international institutions and governance, intolerance, shaming, isolation, bullying, hate crimes, nativism, deplatforming on campuses, alienated males, angry females, gender and transgender wars, an epidemic of self-harm in the young, a, a surge in suicide rates around the world, opioid epidemics here, knife crime there, world leaders demonstrating st- Stunning levels of corruption, dishonesty, brutality, hypocrisy, deceit and ignorance. No grace, no authority, no consensus, no common cause. Who will be next to be shamed, silenced, redacted from history? Toxic social media, addictive gaming and unlimited porn, desensitizing and corroding the sensibilities of the young. Fascism on the march. Free speech has never been so expensive. With us or against us. No ifs, no buts. Nuance, knowledge and quizzical doubt shouted down as liberal elitist wank. No time for logic, no time for reason. Find your tribe and stay with them. Everyone else, they're the enemy. Oh, and in 20 or 30 years' time, when you're middle-aged and still trying to repay your student loan... Floods, droughts, depleted resources, antibiotic-resistant disease and infection, unbreathable air, poisoned plastic throttle rising in acidic seas, mass species extinction on a scale not seen since the Great Permian extinction, our fragile earth crying out in pain. We live in dark and difficult times. Things getting worse, 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 and worse than that. People getting worse and worse. Corruption, violence, cruelty, abuse, distrust, alienation. Cultural commentators, podcasters, essayists, and all of us in pubs, homes, schools, and offices can bang our pint glasses on the bar, stab our fingers accusingly in every direction, and explain why this is, how it is the fault of politicians, or corporations, or Facebook, or someone else somewhere. Doubtless, a proportion of such explanations holds a germ of truth, or a whole packet of germs, but... Nonetheless, surely there's room for looking not outwards, but inwards. The human project is failing. We, the humans, are failing. Every day we fail by the world's standards, but much, much more importantly, by our own. And to make it worse, there is no one to turn to. The grown-ups left long ago. There is no locus of authority, not even a a, a fake Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. There's no referee, no umpire, no judge, no pilot, no teacher in charge, no appropriate adult, no designated driver, no board of directors, no fairy godmother, no prophet, no oracle, no supreme ruler, no Gandalf, no Merlin, no Dumbledore, no Churchill, no Mandela, no Einstein, no tribune of the people, no parent, no god, no mummy and no daddy. It's game over, people. Sip the wine and take your pleasure where you may. It's it's Lord of the Flies. The conch is smashed, Piggy is dead, and the ululating tribes and the war painter, all that's left on the island. Best hide in the undergrowth and wait until they've destroyed each other. But one thing hasn't changed, at least in any real, measurable, provable way, and that is what we might as well call the human heart. We have always been, as W. H. Auden put it, frightened children who have never been happy or good. 
or at least we have always striven to be happier and gooder, usually without satisfactory success. I'm not so much of a one for politics, talking in the conceptual abstract about general masses of people and sweeping economic or social theories. Even worthy political aims and causes speak less to me than the drama of the individual human soul. Damn, that sounds portentous. Never mind. You're listening to Stephen Fry's Seven Deadly Sins. I'll be back after a short interval. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Of course... In our age, sin has been safely medicalized into conditions, syndromes, and disorders. Wrath is an anger management disorder. Pride and vanity are narcissistic personality disorders. Sloth, an attention deficit disorder. Gluttony, an eating disorder. Lust is sex addiction, and so on. Now, I hope I'm the last person to doubt the truth and gravity of mental illness, but I can't believe that it's helpful to reduce all human behaviours, instincts and impulses to neurological, hormonal or chemical dysfunction. Whether there is such a thing as free will or not, and most thinkers these days are agreed that there isn't, it doesn't follow that we should behave as if we are not to be held accountable for our actions, even if only to ourselves. Should it be that the most reductionist views of humanity are true, we still get fulfilment, satisfaction and, dare one say, happiness from a sense of agency, responsibility and charge over our own character and behaviour. Well, like most people, I yearn to be better. Nothing very odd about that. When I say better, I mean it uh, in as many ways, I think, as it can be meant. I'd like to be happier. Yes, who doesn't? I'd like to feel that I was, what, morally sounder, a better person to know, uh, treating others better, having a better influence and a better effect, feeling better, all of that. I do, as don't we all, when trying to drift off to sleep, wonder if I might have behaved better that day, responded better to circumstances, felt better about myself and made others feel better about themselves. So at whom are these podcasts aimed? Well, at you, dear listener. And I'm going to have to make the leap of assuming that you are something like me in your inner sense of self. 
It's a hell of an assumption, uh, I'm aware. Of course, we're likely to be different in all sorts of obvious ways. We, we have different tastes in music, wallpaper, pornography and pizza toppings, I expect. Different tastes in people, too. Different skin colour, perhaps. Different histories and different standards in all kinds of areas. We quite probably think differently about politics, society, gender, religion and history. But I'm assuming, all those differences aside, we might yet share a way of thinking about ourselves that is more important than all those differences. We are all, when it comes down to it, frightened children who want to be happier and better. We all, in one way or another, hunger and thirst after righteousness. We have erred and strayed from our ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have left undone those things we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. There is no health in us. Now, I'm no expert in the history of philosophy, and if you are, then forgive me if what I'm going to say sounds simplistic or muddle-headed or even just plain wrong. There have always been, I think, alternative ways of thinking about our goodness or badness. One way is to compare our actions to a list laid down by authority in the form of scripture or law. All that is required there is faith and obedience. Another is to be a little more independent-minded and judge for ourselves our conduct, perhaps on the basis of its effect on other people. You're probably familiar with the, the greatest good for the greatest number, that idea, the utilitarian ideal. Do my actions ever hurt others, myself included? I might ask myself, do they hurt those close to me or society or the wider world as a whole? Thinking this way, we judge ourselves by the effect of what we do and say and how we relate and interact and the effect those relations and interactions have. A commonly used word for this is consequentialism, because it comes down not to the intrinsic nature of our actions, beliefs and behaviour, but to their consequences. It's easy to see the sense in this interpretation of morality and agree that it offers a, a reasonable and practical guide to behaviour, but there is another way of judging ourselves and our actions that most of us can't deny, however complete and satisfactory a system consequentialism appears to be. Some thinkers, Immanuel Kant in the 18th century was a, was a leading example, identified an inner law, a, a sense inborn, it seems, inside ourselves, not just of right and wrong, but of duty and honour too, something between a, a, a Jiminy Cricket conscience and an inner voice of compulsion or obligation that guides us or judges us. Philosophers call this a, a deontic or deontological sense. It, it, it needn't be a religious voice, but try as we might, I think it's hard to deny its existence. Two things awe me most, Kant wrote, the starry sky above me and the moral law within me. Some snort with Nietzschean derision, but most of us hear that famous saying and respond to it with at least some recognition. Me too. Whether that's healthy or the result of indoctrination is, for our purposes, neither here nor there. Many others, besides philosophers, have tried to explain our sense of guilt and sin, if we want to call it that. Guilt and shame from the Garden of Eden and other creation myths onwards have caused us to wonder at our uniqueness. Animals don't appear to have it any more than they have anything as weird as a sense of nudity or sexual shame. Just us. It seems to be an identifying part of our human brand of consciousness. 
Now, I'm not here to promote or dismantle religious or Freudian or any other explanations as to why we seem to have this deontological voice, this inbuilt feeling about right and wrong. Maybe it's to do with early infancy and its rewards and punishments, with half-baked Sunday school and other indoctrinations. Maybe it's divine. Maybe it's part of an evolved behaviour code that bands us together and reinforces our bonding with like-directed members of our tribe group and, and species. Maybe it doesn't exist, but we tell ourselves it ought to, in which case it does exist, for its essence lies precisely in that very sense of ought, of obligation. Anyway, listen, we've all looked at a dog sleeping by the fire, haven't we, and envied them its freedom from homework deadlines, student loan repayments, family troubles and Brexit. But above all, dogs seem to us relieved of the curse of not being able to sleep because of feeling guilty about how they behaved that afternoon, how greedy and unreasonable they were, how lustful or lazy. Oh, how we wish we could be as free as that. But will we really give up movies, music, books, travel, discussion, architecture, friendship, getting drunk or high from time to time, Christmas, learning a new technique like knitting, joinery or cryptic crosswords, just so as to have the unclouded conscience and limited horizons of a dog? Yes, I know some will claim that because we can't know for sure what it is to be a dog, everything I've said is just contentious surmise, but be fair. You know it's true. Every culture has a creation myth that tries to explain why it is that we instinctively know that A, we are animals, yet B, we are so radically different from all other species of animal around us. We eat, feed, defecate and breed, just like them, but we know that they didn't, as it were, taste the fruit in Eden. They didn't suddenly think they were naked and become ashamed. They don't have language. They don't have a sense of sin. This is, this is deep and marshy terrain, and I don't want to get bogged down in it. These podcasts won't presume either to align themselves with or, or take issue with any philosophy, any intellectual, spiritual, religious, or academic doctrine or practice. I've said all this because, to repeat, I'm making an assumption about you, the listener. However different we may be, you and I, in background, belief, or experience, I take it that, like me, you do have that inner voice, whether we call it anything as grand as a moral law or not, that you sometimes lie awake cross at yourself, wishing you were better than you are, annoyed that you've let yourself down, vowing to improve. Of course, other people are total hats, utter titwheels and unredeemed cockfingers. They don't understand you. They take advantage of you and they fail to see or appreciate you for what you are. All that is, is doubtless true, but in the stilly watches of the night or when ironing, rolling pastry, idling in traffic, weeding the garden or pounding the exercise bike, doesn't a part of you acknowledge that the problem is, is really not them, but us, silly imperfect us. We are poor, shivering creatures striving to be nobler, kinder, and better than we are. We are frightened, lost children striving to be happy and good. I'm not qualified to teach anyone how to be happy and good. I've never trusted anyone who claimed they were. 
Nor am I qualified to give you a course in self-care, rules for life, mindfulness, or what I recently heard, I shit you not, described as wellfulness. But I am raring to have a look at the obstacles to our individual happiness and fulfilment. And sin, trespass, wrong, transgression, error, all these words describe what you might call obstacles. They are the stumbling blocks and impediments to our happiness and fulfilment that come from within. God knows enough shit comes from without. Society is, of course, screwed. Politics is screwed. Many of the young hurt so much that they cut themselves with knives to distract from the pain. Many of the old hurt so much inside they numb themselves with booze and drugs to distract from the pain. There are, as we've seen, no authority figures. In any case, the institutions they once ran are no longer trusted or respected. Parliament, Congress, the BBC, the New York Times, the intelligence services, the church, academics, experts. They're not held in any regard at all. But I'm not going to address that. I'm going to travel, as I said, inside into our troubled and confused hearts. And this brings us to the flaws, deficits, traits, traps, obstacles, banana skins that stop us from being happy and good. Traditionally, seven major or cardinal defects have been grouped as the seven deadly sins, the seven deadly banana skins. Anti-religionist as I may be, I actually rather favour the language of sin and demonology in its drama, glamour and apocalyptic power over the the sometimes anemic, self-righteous, jargonistic languages of self-help, life coaching and armchair or indeed office chair psychology. I think the language of sin speaks much more directly to us. Thinking of each sin as a, as a demon might sound weird, especially coming from someone like me, associated as I may be with rationalism and secular humanism and atheism and so on. But I've always been a, a believer in drama, ritual, ceremony and story. The medieval picture of, for example, wrath and lust as creatures, slaves of the devil himself, threatening our peace. Such images dramatize and personalize human motives and drives that are still mysterious to us. Whatever interpretation of the world we hold, whether we favor medical or scientific interpretations, or the discourse of morality or religion, or the language of mindfulness, as well to call them a demon as an impulse or a complex or a neurological misfire. Or we can see sin as the Donald Duck hissing and quacking temptation into our left ear, while the angelic Mickey Mouse falsettos virtue into our right. Actually, that sounded more like Michael Jackson. Never mind. To personify sins is a rather efficient way, not of managing them necessarily, but but of giving shape, dimensions and character to the otherwise wild and unfathomable forces that control us, which might be the first step to managing them. I'll tell you this. When I was trying to give up smoking years ago, I hit upon this very helpful technique, which you're free to use. I thought of a person whom I really despised at the time. Let's suppose he was called um, Barry Bastard, right? Now, I pictured Barry Bastard not in his house in North London, but coiled up like a dragon, right inside my stomach. And every time I was weak and had a cigarette, Barry would cheer and gloat and snigger and scoff at my weakness and susceptibility. (laughs) I knew he'd cave in, he'd say, which was, of course, unbearable and felt like a kick in the guts. 
So every day that passed without me smoking saw Barry wince and shrink and lose more of his power, till in the end he was he was a weak, withered, dried-up husk of a dragon that I could pass out of my system with a yell of triumph. Giving more than a name, then, to one's pain, giving shape, form, dimension, colour, smell, and character, so much more helpful than abstract talk of right and wrong, healthy and morbid, mindful and distracted, good and evil. Anyway, that is my starting point. I am constantly falling down. My moral health isn't as good as it could be. Ghastly creatures haunt and hinder me. The upcoming podcasts in the series, then, will look at these rude and wriggling seven deadly sins, these banana skins on the path to happiness. According to tradition, the names of the beasts are pride, avarice, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and sloth. I've changed wrath to anger, because it's a more usual word, and because it allows me to remember the sins in a traditional order with the happy acronym Pale Gas, P-A-L-E-G-A-S. I will take each one of the seven in turn, lay them out on the surgical table, and poke, prod, pry, and provoke in an attempt to try to anatomize and understand them. I hope and believe it will be, if nothing else, delicious fun and something of a change from the usual run of podcastery. Anyway, that's the plan. If, as you listen, you tweet a question, rebuttal, or any other kind of constructive comment with the hashtag seven, figure seven, deadly sins, or one word, seven deadly sins, then I will do a special final podcast which takes on your best and most illuminating thoughts and counter-arguments. I do hope you'll join me. Bring your sinful self and see you there. You've been listening to Stephen Fry's Seven Deadly Sins. Grateful thanks to our composer, Guy Farley. The show is produced by Andrew Sampson and Norman Goodman. Additional episode information can be found at stephenfry.com slash bananaskins. This has been a Sam Fry Limited production. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.